Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Well, it, it is the Christmas season, right? And uh, the Christmas season brings uh, a lot of anticipation. For some, even anxiety. <laughs> I mean, there's so much going on. Woo! We got to prepare for so much and so many things and, you know, relatives and families and parties and Christmas parties and shopping and, and house cleaning and, and on and on and on and on. Are you getting nervous yet? Get a little anxious yet? <laughs> well, hopefully we're at least anticipating. But if, but if what we anticipate is, is that Christmas morning and the unwrapping of the presents or the, the look on our children's faces or, or the, the, the gathering of friends and family or the trips or the time off work, if our, if our anticipation around Christmas rests and settles in those things, that's fine. But we've missed the most important thing. It's Christ. And we want to point to culture and say, oh, culture has taken Christ out of Christmas. But if we're really honest, on most days in the month of December, we have forgotten about Christ in Christmas. We go about the busyness and the running around and the anticipating and getting to that moment and then cleaning up after that moment and then getting on and we've missed it. What we want to do as a church is we want to enter into what has traditionally, throughout kind of the, the history, a large portion of the history of the church has been called Advent. And Advent isn't a mysterious term. It's a, it's a, it comes from a Latin phrase, and it means to come. Advent is based on two ideas. Someone incredibly important is coming, and we are going to do everything we can to prepare for their arrival. And so when we look and say, what is the Advent season? It's just 24 days or so before Christmas, we really prepare to celebrate the arrival of the greatest guest that has ever shown up. I mean, Christ wasn't Uncle Tommy just showing up, right? It wasn't like, hey, don't burp at the table, man. It wasn't, it wasn't your average everyday Joe. Christ was the living God the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Prince of peace, the Almighty God. And he stepped from eternity into our space, into our lives. And we're going to take a journey through Scripture this morning and, and look at that. Because sometimes I think we get the impression that that was an afterthought for God. That Jesus coming here was kind of an afterthought. That the whole thing was just a, a one giant mess. And he's scratching his head and going, I know. I'll, I'll, I'll go to earth. And uh, I'll be born of a virgin girl. That'll, that'll work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'll be born in poverty like in a, yeah, let's go to a stable. That'll be good. Yeah, that'll be good. That'll make for a great story. We'll write this thing up. People will tell it. And, and it'll be good. And then in the meantime, we'll, we'll die for the sins of people because that's really what they need. Oh, I, why didn't I think about that before? Okay, let's go. I, I think I got the right moment. That's outlandish, right? You're wondering if, like, God's going to strike me dead for even playing around with that idea. Come on. This was planned from the very beginning. This was being anticipated for centuries. This was, this was known 
the, the, the people of Israel were waiting with an anticipation that was mounting year after year, century and millennium for the Savior to arrive, just like we wait today for him to return. And Christmas should not come and go each year without us spending an appropriate amount of time remembering and thanking and worshiping our Savior for what he did. All Israel waited, anticipated, and prepared for the promised Messiah. The one they waited for is the one we celebrate. Let's go on a journey this morning. All of these passages will be in your outline. They'll be up on the screen. And unfortunately, I won't be able to give a lot of time to turn to them because we need to make our way through them. But you'll have a little bit of time if you do want to turn to them in your own Bibles. We're going to find ourselves starting in, in Genesis chapter 3 in the very beginning. You see, in Genesis, as sinners in, into the world and fractures everything, Adam and Eve believed the lie that they would make better gods than God himself and that they could run things better than he could. And despite his goodness and his grace, they would prefer to be their own masters. It's a journey and a lie that we've believed ourselves many of times, have we not? The Lord is casting judgment and discipline for the action of the man and the woman and the harshest for the evil one who, attempted, who tempted them. And it was in the midst of this judgment that we find our first messianic prophecy. We find grace and, and hope and mercy in the midst of pain and fractured relationships. In Genesis 3.15, the Lord said this to the serpent, the evil one. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Matt Chandler explains that passage like this. It's not complex. There's no build out to the cross, no mention of atonement, no imputed righteousness, nothing like that. Just God, right in the middle of the fog of war, man and woman shamed, naked, distressed, the broken world in front of him. Our father curses the serpent and says, one will be born of the woman that you tempted. Yeah, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Nothing has even settled yet. The new normal hasn't even begun to work. Yet God says, I will take care of this. You see, in this moment when there's pain and there's fractured relationship and there's disappointment and there's rebellion, there is discipline that comes the way of Adam and Eve. But there's this great promise, this great hope that the one who tempted you, that the evil one who will now be against you, who you will be at war with, just like you'll be at war with me. There'll be this pain in life that I never intended for you to have and yet you chose instead of choosing me. I will solve the problem. There will be a moment that I will send one that will crush his head. Oh, that language is not too brutal because if there was a snake right here to chop the head off the snake would cause the pain to disappear. And the Lord knew exactly what we would need. He would need for evil to be destroyed, for us to be set free. So right there in the moment, in that moment in the garden where judgment 
was present. Hope and grace and tender mercy was exposed. And the anticipation would mount and grow. We find a little bit further in Genesis 15 as, Abra- as the Lord was talking to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. Here is a man and a a woman who have no children, and he's saying, I will not only give you children, but I will bring a blessing to all the families of the earth. I will bring a blessing through your seed. The anticipation mounts. Not only will one come, the Messiah, the Savior, who will cut the head off of evil and release us from the bondage of sin that we find ourselves in, but it will come from the line and the seed of Abraham, and it will be a blessing to all families. That means it will be available to every person on the face of the earth. It will be available to them if they so choose to receive the blessing that he will offer when the Messiah comes and the anticipation mounts. You see, this Christmas, the one that they waited for is the one that we celebrate. The Messiah would be Emmanuel. In Isaiah 7, 14, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The Lord was going to give you a sign. He's continuing to unpack this and we find him unpacking even, in a, even greater in Isaiah 9. And we're going to read a little bit from Isaiah 53. And he's continuing to unpack and, and to build the anticipation that the Messiah, the Savior is going to come. And the very first thing we know is not only will it be from, and not only will he, he cut the head off of evil and free us from the bondage of sin, but it's going to come from the line of the seed of Abraham. And he's going to be a blessing to all people and nations who receive him. And those who turn their back on him, he will turn their back on as well. But we find that he's going to come then from the line of David, which we're going to study next week. And then we find that he will come as a virgin. He will come being born of a virgin. And why is that? Because that's a miraculous thing. That's another identifier. That's another mark. There will be others that show up and say, hey, I'm the Messiah. And they'll start to go through anticipating and waiting and wondering who will be the Messiah, who will be the Savior, who will be the one that the Lord will send to free us. And if it didn't meet all of the qualifications, if it didn't meet all of the prophecies, if it didn't fulfill every one of them, then it wasn't the right one. And here would be another sign that He would be born of a virgin. But it wasn't just meant to be a sign. Notice that he said, and he will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now heaven opens up even greater. We see exposed the identity of the Savior, the Messiah. It will be God himself. Oh, it'll be God himself. Yeah, he could have sent someone else. He could have sent a powerful angel. He could have sent legions of angels. He could have have rose up a prophet. He could have made it you or I. But he said, the Messiah, I will come. I will be the rescuer. I will pay the price. I will be the redeemer. I will do that which the people cannot do for themselves, that my children cannot do for themselves. I will do that which they cannot do. I will take on their burdens. I will take on their pains. I will take on their consequences. I will die in their place. I, the Lord God. What? And the anticipation mounts. And it grows. 
He will be 100% man, born of a virgin, and 100% God by work of the Holy Spirit. He will be God with us. This Christmas, the one that they waited for is the one we celebrate. He would come as a suffering servant to redeem the guilty. Now, this passage will be a little bit longer, and it's from Isaiah 53, but it's still only a part of Isaiah 53. This week, my challenge to you is go and open up Isaiah 53 for yourself. Spend time in Isaiah 53. Spend time in Isaiah 7. Spend time in Isaiah 9 and be reminded of who the Messiah was. Be reminded. It says this in Isaiah 53, starting in verse 2. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. Oh, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have gone, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death, he was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. What's happening in Isaiah 53 is we're seeing just how God in the flesh will crush the head of the enemy, will bless the families of the earth, and will destroy oppression, shame, injustice, and slavery forever. God, the Son, Jesus Christ, will come and put on flesh, humble himself, walk among us. He will bear our griefs. He will pay for our inequities. He will make atonement for our rebellion. And he will account to us a righteousness that is not ours, but rather is his. This wasn't written after the crucifixion. This was written hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. He would not come as a glorious fighting warrior as some had taught during that time. Because they were discouraged and they were depressed and they were frustrated that they continued to be battered and beaten by other governments and by other people and continued to be occupied and continued to lose their, so their sovereign nation standing. They were continued to be overrun by other people groups. And they were frustrated. So they began to interpret some of these prophecies as that he would come as a warrior. But it clearly says that he would come as a suffering servant. That's how he would come. He wouldn't come with a silver spoon in his mouth or a, a palace to lay his head. He would come 
as a man of sorrows, taking on our grief and our sin, being despised and spat upon and beaten and crucified on our behalf, taking the penalty which we could not pay and live again, he could pay it and live again and bring life to each one of us. That's the one they waited for. That's the Messiah that they anticipated. That was the groaning in their hearts that they couldn't wait for. That was Jesus, the King, that was going to come on behalf of all people to crush the head of the enemy, to take away the power of sin, and to bring life, and to pay the price of death so that each one of us could have that life if we would receive it. Mercy would have been good enough, but tender mercy meant that he had to come himself and distribute it to each one of us. You see, if he sent someone else, a mere man, then it would not be a penalty that was paid past, present, and future. Fully God, he would pay that price so that all of us could lay claim to it and be called sons and daughters of the God Most High. You see, this Christmas, the one that they waited for is the one that we celebrate. There would be a forerunner. We find the very last prophecy in Malachi, Malachi 4, 5 through 6. It says, see, I will send a prophet, Elijah, to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord's coming. When he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. He's saying, there's going to be, here's another sign for you. Not only will he come in poverty, not only will he come and be disgraced, not only will he come as a virgin, not only will he be God himself, not only will he be from the line of David and from the seed of Abraham, and not only will he crush the enemy, but, but, there will be a forerunner. There will be someone that comes before him to announce his coming, to proclaim his coming, to call all people back to him. Look back to the Lord for it's coming, for he's coming, for the Messiah we've been waiting for is coming. Look back to the Lord. And then there was silence. 400 years of silence. And they waited and they remembered and they taught and the scribes and the rabbis brought people's attention and said, don't forget, remember the Messiah's coming. When you're discouraged, the Lord hasn't forgotten us. He's just delaying his coming. He'll be here. He is for us. He is not against us. And they waited. Until one day that silence was broken. And we pick up the story in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 17. In the time of Herod, the king of, of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth, also a descendant of Aaron, which meant both the husband and the wife, both Zechariah and Elizabeth were from the priestly line. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now that didn't mean they were without sin. There was only one that was without sin, and that was Jesus Christ himself. But it meant that they had put their full trust in the Lord. They believed his decrees. They followed him with all their might. Their, their whole focus of their life was to follow the Lord. And when they sinned, 
They repented from that sin and began to follow again. They were righteous and blameless before the Lord and their motives and their heart. And we pick it back up. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division, his priestly division that is, was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of the incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Take note of that. Take note of that. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you are to call him John. And he will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord. And in the spirit and power of Elijah. Huh? Hearkening back to Malachi here. To Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children. And the disobedient of the wisdom to righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The Lord was speaking. Here was the foretold prophet. And he was told to Zechariah. That you and your wife are going to give birth to the forerunner. The Lord not only spoke, the anticipation had not only grown, but it was now, the time was now. Here was the final piece. There would be a forerunner. There would be a proclaimer. There would be a heralder that the Messiah, the Savior, was on his way. Now was the time. You see, Zechariah was getting ready for the most significant day of his priestly duties. Look, there were 1,800 priests at about that time. And only one temple. And the priest would be picked by lot, kind of by lottery, to bring the sacrifice of incense, which was the prayers of the people. And there was the Holy of Holies, and then there was the area of holy, which only the priest that was selected, that was righteous and blameless, could go there. And then only the high priest could go and bring the sacrifice for the people into the Holy of Holies. Now in that place, they would bring the prayers of the people and they would pray. And here, Zechariah, seen righteous and blameless, was allowed by God to go and bring the prayers of the people of Israel before the Lord. And you know what he was doing? He was praying himself. He was praying for he and his wife while he was bringing the prayers of all Israel. I want to pause here for a moment. And I want to just grab three quick lessons from the life, from the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the prophet who would come. The first one is this. Just because we do all the right things and seek to live righteously and live obediently, we are not guaranteed to experience all the blessings that this life has to offer. They were righteous before the Lord. They were blameless. And yet they were still without child. They wanted one. In our culture, it's a pain and disappointment. In that culture, it was shame. In that culture, it meant God's hand was not on you. In that culture, it meant God had forgotten you. 
And yet the Lord saw them and they were blameless. People were wrong to make that assumption. They were faithful. And while the Lord had not yet chosen, or may have never chosen, to bless them in the manner that he wanted to, here's what we are guaranteed. That he will bless us in the manner that he wants to. Let's think about Zechariah for a minute. Was he not blessed? Were, were him and Elizabeth not blessed to be the priest to bring the, the, all the prayers of Israel before the Lord? To be declared righteous? To be declared blameless? To be given this amazing place before the Lord? His blessings were abounding. And yet, yes, his heart was still troubled. But the Lord was blessing him. And did he not have a blessing of even giving him a son? He would wait. They would be old in age. That's true. But that blessing would also come. What we must do is to remember that every blessing may not be ours that we want. But we are guaranteed the blessings that God chooses to give us. And may we enjoy those. Embrace those. Lesson number two. We need to keep trusting the Lord and continue to bring our pains, our hurts, our disappointments, our desires, and our dreams before the Lord. Zechariah didn't stop. He didn't stop bringing them. Yes, they were old in age. Yes, it didn't appear that this is what was going to happen. But he continued to bring the request before the Lord. Don't give up. Don't give up on the desires of your heart. Don't give up on the frustration. Don't give up. It does not mean that God will answer it the way that you are praying for it. But he will give you blessing. And keep doing that. Keep bringing it before the Lord. And the Lord will either redirect you, he will comfort you, or he will give you the desire of your heart. But don't give up. You don't know what's around the corner. You don't know why he is doing what he is doing. You don't know what blessing is next. Continue to bring your hurts, your pains, your disappointments, your frustrations before the Lord. And during the season, I know that there might be many. During the season, there might be losses and frustration and there might be pain. Bring it before the Lord because he cares. He cares so much that he stepped out of heaven to prove how much he cares. He cares so much that he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within us because he never wanted us to be alone or without help. He cares so much that he says, cast your cares and your burdens and your anxieties upon me and take my burden for his light. He cares so much. Continue to bring your request before him. And finally, as the story continues that we didn't read, here's Gabriel the angel of angels, the one who stands before the Lord, who receives the word directly from the Lord and then passes it on to others. He stands in the presence of God. I mean, like, this is the angel. This isn't like your, your everyday angel, right? This isn't like the private angel. This is the general angel. This is the big guy, Gabriel. And he comes and the Lord sends Gabriel and he stands before Zechariah and he gives Zechariah this great news. And Zechariah goes, um, we're old, man. You, you, you sure about this? Oh, the third lesson's a good lesson. And the Lord said, Gabriel said, I stand before the Lord. This is from him. And to prove it to you, you will not speak or utter another word until the birth of your son comes to pass. And he walked out and he could not speak. And everybody knew that he had seen the Lord first time in 400 years, that 
The Lord had spoke. Here's our lesson. He was not consequented because he doubted. He wasn't consequented because there was something that he wanted that he doubted how the Lord might bring it to pass or if the Lord would bring it to pass. Lesson number three. It's okay to struggle with what we hope God will do. With what we hope God will do. Never doubt what he says he will do. That's the great truth of Christmas, is it not? All of his promises came to pass. We have a God that brings all of his promises to pass, that when he declares it and says it, we can bank on it. It becomes our lifeline. It becomes our support. It girds, it girds us in throughout life, right? It's, it's, it's to uphold us. It's to give us hope. We can bank on what the Lord says. We will doubt. We will have moments of frustration. We will be unfaithful at times. It'll happen. But let it be for what we hope for and not over the promises of God. He will bring them to pass. But if today you're doubting, if today there's just pain in your life and struggle in your life, then you're at the right place. Because this is what's known as the body of Christ. All those who serve him, all those who follow him, they're the body of Christ. They come together and worship of him, learning his word and learning the truth of his promises. And we gather as a family to encourage one another in those promises. We uphold one another in those promises. And sometimes you're going to need your brother or sister to, to gather around you and lift you up and to hold you tight and go, don't forget the promises. And because you are lacking faith right now, I will be faithful for you. I will fight for you. I will pray for you. I will walk in your stead because it is so hard for you to walk today. May Christmas remind us of the promises of God and may the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth remind us that they come to pass and may it remind us that we can surround one another and remind one another of the promises in our darkest, most hurtful, frustrating, disappointing pain in our lives. Tim Lundy tells a story of a professor at the seminary that he attended. And he, this professor and his wife were a little bit older in age and they would go out every night every night and they'd walk around the campus and they would talk together about the day and they would pray with one another and they would do that night after night and it was such a joy to the students to see and to, to interact with them on campus and to hear their prayers and the way that they talked about one another and the, the love and the, cher the way they loved and cherished one another. One day, his wife passed away and he stopped coming out for those walks. The students waited to see how maybe they could walk alongside this professor because they knew he must have been grieving. And they waited. And one day, the president and three other professors that were dear friends of him showed up at his door. They said, Hans, we're worried about you. You're not eating. You're not coming out. You're not joining with the body in worship and prayer. We've come here to pray with you. And he said, don't bother. I can't pray. In fact, I'm not even sure I believe in God. A broken hearted man sat in the ruins of his life, much like the garden. And a man with quick faith 
in the present, raised up and said, then Hans, we'll pray for you. We'll be your faith. We'll remind you of the promise. We'll stand in the gap for you until you return to your belief, until your heart is settled and believes again. And for every day, for three months, they showed up at his house and they prayed. They drew him to the door and they prayed for him. And every day he stood there and every day they showed up and every day they showed up and they fought for this man and they reminded him of the promises and they reminded him of the scriptures and they fought for him and they had the faith for him and they had, they brought him before the Lord. And one day they showed up and they knocked on the door and Hans answered. And he said, gentlemen, today, I will pray. For my faith has returned. Christmas not only reminds us of the promises, but that we are supposed to be the reminders of those promises. That we're to walk with one another and to be faithful when our brothers and sisters aren't. And to uphold them when they don't know how to walk. And to fight for them when they are fightless. Three lessons. Three things from Zacchaeus. He may not give you what you hope for, but he'll give you what is best. Continue to bring your pains, your fears, your frustration, your disappointment. You may doubt what you hope for, but don't doubt his promises. And help one another remember the promises of God. Be the church, the body of Christ. So who are you preparing for this December 25th? John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I hope you're preparing to celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. As a church, let's use the next 24 days to anticipate the celebration of our Savior's arrival. Uh, let's remember what is loving, gracious, tender mercy accomplished? Today, just like the ancients, let's anticipate his coming again. Let's not treat it as if it's a folktale. He will return and let us anticipate him coming again. We created resources so that we could walk through this as a church. We grabbed them from other churches. We put them together. And here's what we did on our website you can go and there's things for you every single day. There's guides you can use to walk through with your family. There's resources you can use to help, help focus and teach. There's a calendar that you can open up every single day and be reminded of something precious about our Lord Jesus. 24 days of anticipation to celebrate the coming of the King and to remember that he will come again. Remember and prepare in the mundane. Use the everyday images and experiences of Christmas to remember who our Lord is and what he has done, right? The trees and the lights and the, and the presents and the, and the cards and the, and the interactions and the gatherings. Use those moments to draw your attention back to the Savior. And that calendar that we gave you that you can open up every day on your phone or on the computer or whatever it is, 
It takes those everyday moments. It takes things like the trees and the, and the wreaths and the candles and say, hey, when you see a candle, be reminded of the light of our Savior who came in. And it's just these beautiful reminders that you can go throughout your day. They're short. They're the ones you can read. They're meant to be read with your kids if you want to. But they're everyday moments in the everyday mundane of our lives, drawing us back to the special, outrageous, unthinkable moment of Christmas. Remember and prepare through repetition and intentional moments. You know the songs that have already started on some of the radio stations? You know, not, not, not the Hallmark station, but you know, all the other stuff where the song, you walk through a store and it's the same songs and you know, oh, little town of Bethlehem. Oh, wait a minute, that's a good one. Oh, King Jesus. Oh, that's not a good one. You get it? Let the songs remind you. Don't get tired of them this Christmas. Let them remind you. Don't just sing them. Don't just let them come off your lips like they don't mean anything. Sing them to the Lord. Let them remind you of the presence of God that showed up here to save us and to be our salvation. Let it remind you to anticipate the celebration of our Savior. The one that was anticipated is the one that we celebrate. Create intentional moments. Sit down with your family. Sit down with one another. A lot of churches will light candles or have wreaths. We want you to do that in your home. We don't want that to get caught up and think, oh, that's just for church. You can do things like that in your home. You can make special things. You can begin traditions, not for tradition's sake, but for, to create moments in your family where you think about Christ, not just on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve, but throughout the month of December that we would be a church that thinks about Christ's coming, that anticipates his arrival. And finally, remember by sharing. Remember by sharing. John, Jesus said in John 8, 12, he says this, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then he taught in Matthew, he says this, you are the light of the world. A town built on a, 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 town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The light came, you received the light, and now we go out and glorify the Lord. We are his shining light to the world. How about for 24 days, we don't stop telling the story. How about instead of expecting culture to bring Christ back, we bring Christ back. How about if we go out and remember daily what Christmas is all about? Christ came near to smash the head of evil, to be a blessing to every family, to pay the price for our sins, and to give us life. Let us go tell the story. Remember in the mundane, repetition and create moments for your family and share the story of the light of Christ. 24 days, let's prepare to celebrate the greatest arrival of all of human history. May it not be just another Christmas. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your greatness, your love, your mercy. Thank you for the tender mercy that caused you to come here and to be with us and to care about our pain and our disappointments that we can come to you and you will speak into them, that you've given us a body to walk with us, 
that you care about what hurts us and what ails us, including the sin that enslaved us. So thank you, Father, for your great love and your mercies. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.